welcome to another episode of the Backwards K Podcast. This is your host, Coach Puma, episode six. So last week we talked about rules and organization, and now in this episode we are going to talk about practice. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. That's right. You heard the man. We're talking about practice. So practice in what way? We're going to talk about practice plans, what an effective practice looks like, and the different types of practices you might have over the course of a season. So there are three different types of practices. You're going to have a preseason, like the preseason practices you have before games start. You have your regular season practices where you're just, you're in a routine, you do your regular stuff during the season just to stay in shape and, you know, keep things sharp. And then you have the day after game practices and the day before game practices. You have those two go hand in hand. And we're going to sit and talk about all three and a half, let's just say, three types of practices that um, you can have during the course of a baseball season as a head coach. And what your job is as a head coach to make sure those practices are meaningful and kids are getting and your players are getting the most out of it. So first, let's start with this. Let's just start generally. So baseball is a simple game, right? Simple, throw, catch, run, whatever. But having an effective baseball practice can be challenging, even though the skills itself are very simple, right? We are going to take a look at the basic components of a practice and outline some sample practices for older and younger youth teams. So the first important thing you should be doing for any practice um, is warming up. That's preseason, that's regular season practice, and that's day before, day after game. Run, stretch, throw. That's usually what warming up consists of. So when you're in the little league and you have you're dealing with younger kids, you're dealing with kids let's say from 9 to 12, even 13, 14 in that sense. You know, warming up to they don't understand what warming up is. They're used to just putting on the glove and running on the field and just to start playing. They're they're not used to having to warm up their muscles and warm up their body to perform. So instilling a warm up at a young age is important because then as they get older, they'll get they'll be able to take care of their body more and they'll be able to stretch and understand the importance of it instead of getting to a level where when a coach says warm up, they're like, I don't know what to do. What do you mean warm up? We never warmed up. So explaining this to them is important at the younger group. You know, a practice, a warm up could be, hey, run to center field, run back, right? That's a warm up, but they might not understand that. They might sprint all the way to the center field fence, turn around and run back and see who could be first. Right, they don't understand. Just take a slight, a nice little jog out there, or whatever. You know, at the younger age, teach them how to stretch. Teach them the static stretch when you're standing in one place. Teach them the mobile stretches when they're in line and they're moving, and you know, lunges and and butt kickers and things like that. Right. So warming up is important for all across. So now this is where things break off. So preseason practice is usually tryouts. Some first week of them are tryouts. And then you're building. So you're building arm strength. You're building muscle memory. You're building these things. So when you're trying out, you're not practicing if you're trying out, right? You're putting kids in drills and seeing how they react and looking for skills. You're looking at glove work, footwork, arm strength, arm accuracy, throw accuracy, um, speed, 
can they bunt? Can they hit for contact? Can they situationally hit? Like that's what you're looking at in tryouts. How do they run the bases? Right? You're just throwing them in the drill and you're letting their skill, let them show their skills without teach, without teaching. I mean, if you see something that they're going to hurt themselves, you obviously you stop them and you say, no, this is what you're supposed to do. You know, and if you're organized and you communicate, like we've been saying from the beginning, they know what you're, what you're looking for. So that's the first preseason practice. You're building. So you're long tossing more. You're doing more fundamental based drills, right? So you're, you're working on ground balls and how to properly fill them in body positioning. You're, you're talking about turning double plays and the turn to second base. You're talking about double cuts, cutoff mans in general, where you want the ball, who do you want cutting on certain situations? I've seen a lot of varieties of different types of cut plays. Uh, you're talking about, you're building those skills and you're taking batting practice. You're getting the kids swings, right? And you're giving them situational swings and you're working on bunting and you're working on base running. Like you're, you're doing more foundation building in preseason practice. Why? Because a lot of these kids have, haven't touched a bat or a ball in months, right? When they step on the field in late February, early March, normally they haven't touched or thrown. They've stopped playing in November. If they played fall ball, they stopped playing in August. If they stopped, if they don't, if they played summer ball and didn't play fall ball because they play a fall sport, which is fine too, right? Playing sports Playing multiple sports is a good thing. And we'll we'll talk about that. And I think it's good for baseball players to play different sports. But we'll we'll talk about that at a later date. But you you might have a situation where kids haven't thrown in a long time. Or hit in a long time. Or done any baseball activity in a long time. So you have to build them back up. Right? You have to increase their arm strength. You have to so that they don't have arm problems in the middle of the season. You have to give them enough swings so when they start seeing live pitching they're ready to go, right? So, oh, and and that's in as preseason goes along. You don't have to do all that in one day. And if you noticed, there's a lot of topics there to cover, right? Building up arm strength, first and thirds, uh, cutoffs, turns at second base, just getting ground ball reps in general, batting practice, situational hitting, uh, base running, right? Situational fielding. Right, 27 outs, 21 outs, you know, everybody, every baseball player has played that. And in college, we called it Chinese baseball, right? Those situational when the coach hit and they had, you had runners and you played like, you know, it was like a simulation type thing. Um, you know, those are preseason practice. And then even in, in preseason practice, you're talking about um, implementing signs for bunt defense, implementing your offensive signs, implementing your first and third signs, implementing pickoff signs if you want them, right? Implementing different verbiage and stuff like that for things. Like I, one of my favorite signs and, you know, I mean, I don't know who's going to be coaching against me and whoever's listening to this is I have a sign. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I have a sign with my runner at second base to give him the green light, you know, and it's simple because I teach them to look for things with the pitcher. And everybody knows this is not a secret. Run, high school kids, young kids do not know how to hold runners on, especially on second base. So you take advantage of it, right? Look once, go. If they keep looking you once, you can walk to third, right? But I'm not going to tell you what the sign is. But that's my style. I'm a very aggressive, I'm a very aggressive on the bases. So, you know, I, I will not shy away from that. But these are this is preseason, right? So now when you have preseason, 
you move into the season, right? And with the season practices, you're talking more about just keeping keeping sharp. So you're still working on the things you're working on in preseason, but you're working on them in a small in a smaller time frame, and you're not you're not working on it. You're not dedicating a whole practice to it. Why? Because the kids are already throwing every day. You don't want to overwork them. You don't want to you know you just want to keep them sharp, right? You know you take batting practice maybe one day a week or two days a week. Tuesday, Monday and Wednesday you're working on fielding. Tuesday and Thursday's batting practice, right? Something like that. Um. You know, it also depends on games that week. How many games are you playing? Playing two games? You're playing Tuesday, Thursday? Or are you playing Wednesday, Friday? There's a lot of different variables that go into mid-season practices. And that's why mid-season practices or regular season practices go hand-in-hand with day-before-game practices and day-after-game practices. Now, this is difficult because it's difficult because there's a lot of different pieces moving around when you're trying to build a practice. So if you, let's talk about a schedule. Let's just throw a schedule out there. So you're playing, let's say you're playing Tuesday. No, take that back. You're playing Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, right? Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So you have a back to back. So you have two, Monday and Tuesday. Monday, you you do a good, hard practice. You practice hard, right? Tuesday is a lighter practice. Tuesday is, I would, is what I call a shorts practice, right? The kids don't have to wear baseball pants. They can wear shorts. They come. They light, they light toss. They hit. They get some running in. They go home. That's it. You talk about the game, maybe. You go home, right? That's the day before a game. Now, let's say on Wednesday... Wednesday's game come and goes and you win, but you need to work on, you need to work on, um, feeds at second base. Cause you know, you, you could, you cost your pitcher, you had to use an extra pitcher. And in the age of pitch counts, they hurt you because your middle infielders going to turn a double play. So you work on flips at second base. Outfielders have to take better routes to the ball and, and, and you, and you gave, you won the game, but you made some mistakes that are fixable that you could work on in practice is pretty much where I'm getting at here. So you take that stuff, and on Thursday, you go through that stuff. Even though you have a game the next day, you tighten those things up. So Friday, you can see the difference, right? So for as a coach, for me, if I had a, that type of schedule, I wouldn't. I would leave my Thursday practice open. I wouldn't plan it. I would wait to see how Wednesday went. Then I would plan practice that day because of the fact I want to know what we need to work on on Friday. And then you play Friday and Saturday, and then you take what you need to work on Friday and Saturday, work on it on Monday. Because you don't practice on Sundays, right? So that's, and that's also with you're outside all the time, there's no rain, and you're thinking, you know, when it gets to indoor practice, that's when it gets more difficult. Indoor practice, I like to do stations. I like to do stations, you put them through stations, and then you condition for a half an hour, they go home. And, you know, it's tougher because you need to worry about space. You need to worry about how long you have that space. But it all depends on what you need to work on. So those are the three, you know, three practices that you have, three types of practices, even though, you know, you have two for day before, day after game. Um, you know, also, this also goes into the fact that you can count a practice as a classroom practice. 
you can have a classroom practice as well. And a lot of these classroom practices happen um, preseason. And what do I mean by that? You teach the kids about approach. You teach the kids, the pitchers, about how to attack the strike zone. You teach the kids certain things. You show them video. You sit them down. It's kind of like mini scouting reports, right? You have these little meetings. And you're gonna, you see these meetings in college. And they don't have a lot of them in high school. And they should to get those college athletes ready. And what I believe is, is that pitchers, now this is where going into using your coaching staff is important. So let's say you have a, a practice and Monday, Tuesday, you know, we play Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So Thursday's shorts practice, whatever. You take your assistant coach. Now you could do either way. Take your assistants, tell them, hey, take the outfielders, take the infielders, go hit. Right? And then you could take myself, I would take the pitchers inside, set them down in the classroom, and we would go over the opponents for that week. Right? Because you don't want your pitchers throwing if they're going to throw tomorrow, especially your starters and the kids you're going to use after him. Right? You want to talk about scouting report, how you want to how to how you want to attack. You you have your catchers there as well. You have a 15-20 minute meeting, maybe a half an hour. You go back outside, the kids shack fly balls, the catchers hit, you're done. You know, but giving the kids that information. So that when you're, if if you don't give your catcher the liberty of calling their own game and you're calling a game, they already know what you're going to be calling in the sense of why you're calling that pitch. They're not going to question you and say, hey, you know, I want to throw a fastball there, but you called for a breaking ball. Why'd you call for the breaking ball? They're going to say, yeah, I understand why the breaking ball was being called because we sat down and talked about it, right? So there's a lot of things you can do where you take that time and be successful. Now, what is important to understand about all this is coaches don't do this. And when we do go when we go on the other side of our break, on the other side of our break, we're going to talk about what a practice plan looks like. We're going to talk about the importance of having a plan, dealing with limited field space, uh, a per, what makes a perfect practice. We're going to go through a sample practice plan um, for 12 and under and 13 and up. Um and why it makes sense, okay? And you're going to see that, you know, there's a lot of structure because structure and practice is good. But before we go to break, because I have five minutes on my clock, is if you have a coach, now this is just opinion. This is not fact. This is not whatever. This is Coach Puma's opinion. Um, if you have a coach that is structured... As a player, you're going to get better. I can tell you that right now. If you have a coach that doesn't have a plan, you're not going to get better. And I've seen this as a player and as a coach. Now, there have been a lot of times where, you know, especially the last couple of years, I was an assistant. So I wasn't the one making the practice plans. I think I may I've made one practice plan in the last two years. And that was called the best practice of the season. Go figure. But um, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because if you go back to the interviews, if you go back to the interview with Owen and you go back to the interview with Rosie, with Coach Rosie, we both talked about that 17 team compared to the other teams after that and how the 18, 19 teams were just as good as the 17 teams if they were coached correctly. Um, the 17 team won it all. 
we were we had practice plans we were we were ready to go we were prepared our head coach it was on the money all day long every day every night he was on the money when it came to practice game planning everything now he leaves and this new guy comes in new guy comes in a mess absolutely a mess you know when you have a two-hour window practice starts at 3 30 you got to be done by 5 30 because that's when the rides are there for the kids to pick up and the parents have other things to do than wait for you so now practice ends at 5 30 now do you mean 5 30 they're waiting for their parents to pick them up or are they getting off the field at 5 30 because they still have to go get the equipment in they got to change and then they, then they got to leave so what I like to do is I like to to tell the parents what time practice ends. Not for practice, you know, be clear. But anyway, that's another argument. Another argument, I'm getting sidetracked here. But the point of the matter is this, is if you have a two-hour practice and you run stretch, let's say practice starts at 3.30. So you run stretch at 3.30, run stretch throw, you're done by 3.45. At 3.45, you should have a drill ready to go. Or you talk for five minutes, you, you talk for five minutes, and then you go to practice. So from 3.50 to 5.30, you're doing baseball stuff for the most part. And maybe the last five minutes of practice, you talk again and you pack up and leave. But this coach comes in. We run, we, we kids are showing up late, first of all. There's no accountability. Practice starts at 3.30, and as an off-site teacher, I'm a teacher if you guys haven't put it together. I teach in a different district. I don't teach at the school that I work at. And if I'm late, which I hate doing, by the way, and I have no choice, but if I show up at 3.45, I should be the last one there. But no, kids are still rolling in at 3.45. Kids are, half the team is run, stretching, and throwing, and the other half of the team's in the dugout. Like, that's ter- a terrible look. Horrible. Should not be. Then they run, they stretch, they, everybody finally gets loose. They're all ready to go. And then he has this meditation. It's a quote that he pulls off, and it has to do with the practice they do that day. It's, and by the way, practice was nothing. We hit, we went home, pretty much. Hit, I.O., went home. That was practice. We barely, rarely ever worked on stuff. And when we did, it was a mess. But he would talk to them for half an hour. And me and the other assistant coaches looking there, looking at each other like, all right, it's time to get to go and we got to go. We're playing Brunswick. We're playing King this week. We have, we have crap to do. <laughs> we got stuff to do. We got to get better. We have our, we have two big games this week, three big games this week. We got to get, we got to get working. We got to get to work. So, you know, that type of stuff, that lost practice time that you never get back is it it's important if it's important cuz you don't have a lot of time to practice and if you're wasting time practice in practice you're not going to get better so you need to be on the ball you need to be ready to go have a plan and communicate that plan to um you have to communicate that plan to your coaching staff so they know what's going on as well, right? So with that being said, we're going to take a break, quick break. 
And on the other side of this break, we're going to talk about, like I said earlier, we're going to talk about the importance of having a plan, dealing with limited field space, which you can do, what makes a practice plan perfect, and two different practice plans, a sample plan for 12 and up and one for 13 and up. Okay, so uh, sit, sit tight. We will be right back after the break. welcome back now let's get right into it so what we're going to be talking about first is the importance of having a plan so is it, it is important for a coach to spend at least some time in advance putting the day's practice on paper because um, then you're going to forget it is even better if the plan can be emailed to your coaching staff before practice right or you can text it to them and say text them and say hey this is what we're working on in practice right um, there's no need to send it to the players beforehand. You don't really need to do that. Um, if the plan is communicated effectively with your coaching staff, with while team stretches, the confidence level of the players will increase. And it's important to have that so that everybody's on the same page. Okay. They'll, and this will also understand, take, the kids will make know for sure that you're taking this seriously your responsibility seriously, and you're attempting to make the experience as rewarding as possible for all involved, the players, the coaches, everybody. You're most likely to get maximum effort out of your players if the coach is paying attention, is organized, and there's less to question about the organization. So if you're organized, and this is why you don't have to keep the parents in the loop, because if you give the parents too much information, they're going to start asking questions that you don't need to answer. And it's a waste of your time. So you just need to be comfortable with the, the the kids going, your players going home and saying, yeah, yeah, what'd you work at at practice? Yeah, we did this, 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 and this. Like, it was fun, right? And then that builds the the trust that, that and shows that you're dedicated, right? So that's the importance of having a plan. And if you notice, it all comes down to communication and letting everybody in the loop and making sure that you have it on paper so that you don't need to go off memory and I'm going to show you why you need it in, on paper in a, in a moment. So now, let's talk about field space. Not everybody has the same amount of space. Some people have more than others. Some people are able to use, you know, the soccer field as well as the baseball field because nobody's using the soccer field during practice. Some people might have an outdoor cage next to their field so they can do hitting and do something else on the field. Um, others might not have space, right? And... This also comes into play when you have multiple teams in a program, when you have a modified team, a JV team, and a varsity team, and there's one field. What's going to happen? Modified's going to have to find a spot of grass and practice on somewhere. JV might have to practice with varsity if they want any field time whatsoever. And then varsity gets the field because it's varsity. Right? So you might have limited space. Um, but, you know... Dealing with limited, listen, it's very easy to, for us to tell you, for for me to tell coaches not to fall into the trap of running a practice where one kid is sitting and everyone else is standing around in the field, right? That's not effective, right? After all, we all have access to, you know, a huge database of stuff where you can just look online. You can look online and just steal people's practice plans, 
Like, it's that simple. People are doing it all over the place. Let's go on YouTube, right? So if you have limited field space, you still can be effective. And you be, you're effective in, in the way that you cut the field up. So this is what I mean. So let's say at my school where I coach, we have one field and we have a cage. So you have a situation where if you want to do both sides of the ball that day, if you want to do defense and offense, and you just want to have you have that type of dynamic, you use the cage and you set up groups. You usually group them by position. So you have your infield, like a couple of infield groups, and you have a couple of outfield groups. So maybe four four groups, and then you have your catchers as well. And if you have a PO in there, just throw them in a group. You know, if he's going to throw a bullpen that day, PO, for those of you who don't know, means pitcher only. If you have a PO, you know, just try to plan where he could throw his bullpen. Stick him with the catchers and the catchers group, pretty much. And the way you should make your groups is left side, right side of the infield, half the center fielders with the left fielders, half the center fielders with the right fielders, if you want to do it that way. Right, and then the catchers have their own group. And while your groups are hitting, let's say you have an outfield group hitting, so you have one group of outfielders there, and you have your all in infield. You could do stuff in the infield and in the outfield if you have three coaches. You have a coach in the infield working with the infielders. You have an outfield coach. You have somebody working in the cage with the other hitters. And then, luckily, if you have a fourth coach, you could have a coach in the bullpen. But if you only have three, when the pitcher's throwing the bullpen, you want to watch his bullpen, you have the coach in the outfield work both, right? So you cut the field up. You cut the field into outfield drills in the outfield, infield drills. You can even cut the infield in half and have left side left side drills and right side drills going on at the same time. You know, you can have third baseman throwing to second base and feeding a double play without the throw. And then you can have pitchers working on covering first base, right? So, you know, that's just me BSing. Right? That's not me. I don't have a practice plan in front of me. So, that is if you have one field. Right? Now, if you have multiple fields, you could do a lot of stuff at once. So, you know, field space, you have to practice. You have to know going in what your field space is going to be going in. And what you can and can't do. That, listen, if you have a day where it's just strict batting practice... And you have, you're on the field having batting practice and you're, it's a light day. Listen, that's fine. You can do that. But you don't want to do that every day. That's where it gets annoying. And that's where it gets tedious. And that's where it gets to a point where you don't get anything done. And your kids aren't getting better and your kids are bored and they start fooling around. Someone gets hurt. And, you know, now you have something else to deal with that you shouldn't have to deal with at all. So that's field space. Now, moving on to that. What makes a practice plan perfect, right? We all heard the saying, practice makes perfect, right? Practice, practice, practice. But not all coaches understand what practice makes perfect actually means. So, you know, it's not... Practice makes perfect is is true, but not at face value. Right now, I just said not all coaches know what practice makes perfect means, but if you have a, an effective practice, that's what practice makes perfect. You know, you need to understand that 
it's worth doing. You have to do something. If you're going to do something, do it right. Right? If you're going to work on something, we're going to work on it the right way. That's where practice makes perfect. It's not just this bland saying. You don't just practice and then you learn a bad habit and then that makes you perfect. You have to work on the technique, on the fundamentals to be perfect. Right? So that's what it means as practice makes perfect. So I'm going to get into a sample practice plan. This is 12. I'm going to do 12 and under and then 13 and up. So we're going to do this based on a two-hour practice. So we're talking about little kids. We're talking about 5 to 12. Now, I'm actually going to, instead of saying 12 and under, I'm going to do 12 to 9 years old. Why? Because these are the kids that are pitching against each other, playing real baseball. T-ball is a little different. You know, T-ball is you go from base to base. Everybody gets to hit. You know, it's it's... It's not, you know, the kids are there to have fun and they're still learning the game, but it's not competitive. It's not a competitive atmosphere. You don't keep score. So 12 and under, 12 to 9. Okay, so first 10 minutes of practice is warm-up. So practice starts at, let's say practice starts at 5.30. Little league practices always start at 5.30. So from 5.30 to 5.40, you're warming up. You're you're you're, you're teaching the kids. Now, you, you we're doing this in a sense of, this is midseason, so the kids know what warm up is. So they run, and then they stretch, and they and they toss um, for ten minutes. So five forty. So it's a quick, it's quick, right? It's a quick warm up. It's a quick run, stretch, throw. You know, 10, Even if you want to say instead of ten minutes, you want to say fifteen minutes. So five thirty to five forty five. Fifteen minutes, run, stretch, throw. And they're young, so you don't have to do an extensive and ex- extensive stretching program. Have them stretch out their legs, stretch their arm, and go. They don't need to stretch out their core, their hip flexors, their lat muscles, their 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 right pinky toe. You don't have to worry about that. Their hamstrings, their quads, their shoulder, and their arm, and their forearm. That's it. You don't have to go nuts. Nice and simple. Do the basic stuff with them. Basic. Right? And they throw. Right? And you should go over, and they should know how to throw. Right, we're gonna do an episode on that too. How to properly long toss, right? Because people don't know how to do that, and we gotta talk about it. So it's three now. It's five forty-five. So for the next, so now you have what an hour and forty-five minutes of practice because you're practicing till seven thirty, right? So now you now you have time. So the next forty-five minutes, forty-five minutes. So from five forty-five to six thirty, forty-five minutes. You're doing stations, small groups, okay? So you're going to be doing live batting practice. Now, these are little leaguers, right? So let's say you have you have a, a batting cage. You're doing batting pro, live batting practice in the cage. In, the coach is throwing behind an L screen, right? Live pitching, overhand pitching, right? Live batting practice. Then um, in another part of the cage, you're doing T-work and soft toss. So you have three hitting stations right there. Live, soft toss, T-work, right? You got two cages. One cage is live. The other two cages are T-work and soft toss, okay? Then, what you if, if you don't have a cage, we're, we're going to talk about this if you don't have a cage, right? Then you're going to do some field, fielding and throwing uh, stations. So ground ball station, fly ball station, uh, pick station where they're working on backhanded picks and front-handed picks. Um, you're working on... 
proper throwing techniques, you know, point the elbow, not the glove. Don't point the glove. Elbow. Pointing the elbow, working on the target, working on hitting the target, coming through balls, crow hopping. This is the stuff you need to be working on at this age. Why? Because when they get to the bigger ages, they already have that foundation already built. Then, that's 45 minutes, right? So you've worked on everything. You got 15 minutes per station. Or 10 minutes. You could do even 10 minutes per station. Okay? So that's one, two, three. That's four different stations. Right? So 15 minutes each station. They all do it once. That's three stations. Right? Four stations. Four groups. They all do... They start one. They go clockwise or counterclockwise. Wherever way you want to go. Wherever way you want to rotate. They rotate. They do three stations out of the four because they're not going to do the the fourth one twice. 15 minutes is 45 minutes. So, now, it's 6.30. You have an hour left of practice. What are you going to do? What could you do? A lot of things you could do. Right? So, for an hour of time that you have, I would save the last 20 minutes for base running and conditioning. So, you take that off. So, you have 40 minutes of stuff you could do. So, what I would do is you already had the kids hit and they already did some T-work and stuff. I want to work on situations. So for the next 40 minutes, you're going to have situational baseball. So what does that mean? You put nine kids out in the positions. The over kid, the leftover kids you have become runners. You have a bat in your hand and it's baseball. Kids running the base. You have kids running the bases. You're hitting the ball to different parts of the field and kids are learning that the ball can come to them at any time. Do that for 40 minutes. And you count outs and you put things in place. You could say, hey, you know, if we could get to 15 outs rather, because if you're playing six innings, right, that's 18 outs. If you can get to 15 outs without making a mistake, right, we don't have to be, I'll end it right here, right? And give, give the kids some um, motivation and competitiveness, right? So then the last 20 minutes of practice, now it's at 20 minutes left, you do base running and conditioning. You go through your base running circuit. What's a base running circuit? Run through first, take the turn at first base, then you go from first to third, and then and then you go sack fly, home run, done. That's your practice. That's an effective practice. Now you're working on the fundamentals, you're working on things along that nature. And always common sense prevails. If something's not working, change on the spot, right? Um, it's important that your coaching, um, your coaching practice plan, your practice plan as you as you move along, is important to have that uh, ability to be changed. Is what I'm pretty much trying to say. If you could change it, change it on the spot. If you notice that when you that you guys need more time working on fielding ground balls, take the time to do it. And then you modify as you go. And sometimes you have to do that. It's not, you you know, the, the trap that you guys, people will fall into when you're building a practice plan is two things. One is they fall into this has to go this way. We have to move on. We have to, we plan this is what we're going to do. If you don't get to something, do it tomorrow. Like, it's not that hard. So that was 12 to 9. You know, 5 to 8, like I said, the kids are learning still learning how to throw the form, proper form and it's more developmental and it's more um it's not 
you really don't need a plan for that. You already know. Okay, we're going to, for five to, let's say five to eight year olds, you're just going to go, you're going to hit them ground balls, you're going to teach them how to throw, proper proper mechanics, how to throw, um, and just let the kids have fun. How to properly hold and swing the bat. You know, other than that, let the kids have fun. You know, you don't have to, at practice, you don't have to kill them at practice, right? Just let them have fun. Because that's what it's about at that age group. At that age group, they don't know if they like the sport yet. And you don't want to drive them away from the sport as a five-year-old because you're too hard on them as a coach. You don't want to be the reason why somebody just stopped playing baseball because they use you. All right, so quickly here because I'm up against it. So a sample practice plan for 13 and up. So for 20 minutes, run, stretch, throw. 20 minutes, run, stretch, throw. And they should know what to do at 13 and up. So they're going to do it on their own. Okay, then for 20 minutes... Ground balls and fly balls. And you're going to use buckets and systems to minimize throws and maximize reps. So what that mean? What does that mean? Is what I like to do to, for this is called a crossfire drill. Now, crossfire is you have your infielders and then you have your outfielders on around the field. So if you're standing close to the way you do it, it's hard to explain without diagramming it out and being on the field. But you pretty much have two two hitters on the third baseline hitting to first and second base, and then you have two hitters on the first baseline hitting to third and short, and you have a bucket of balls in front of you, and the, each position has their own bucket, and they're just whipping ground balls at them all for 20 minutes, and they get about 100 ground balls each. Then outfielders, you have in the outfield, you have a coach hitting fungos to them with the fungo bat, hitting fly balls, and you always put the coach that can hit fly balls more consistently there because you don't because not every coach can handle the fungo. Um, I take pride in my fungo swing, so I actually can swing the fungo. I can hit the ball straight up the shoe con- not con- consistently. You know, I'm one out of three, which is pretty good. And game day, I'm, I was one year game day-wise up the shoot, I was perfect. Uh, it was fun. The practice, I f- screwed up, but other stuff was good. So... You have this, this, these stations going for 20 minutes. Then, for another 20 minutes, is team fundamentals. So you're going to work on bunt defenses, first and third defenses, cut and relays, pickoffs and rundowns, team base running for 20 minutes. So that's an hour right there, a two-hour practice. So you have 20 minutes of each, 20 minutes of those three different things. Then, for the last hour, just hit. You hit for an hour, right? Now, this is, this is simple... Because this is based on quick, 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 and where you have an hour worth of BP. You're not going to do this every day, right? This is just one practice, right? So what are you working on batting practice, right? So you could do this a lot of ways. You could do the, I usually do an old school way of batting practice. It's simple. You have groups of kids. I try to keep the groups four to four hitters, a group or five hitters a group, and you hit, and then you have people running the bases, and you have situations. So you, first is you bunt, bunt them over, hit them over, get them in. That's it. So you have runner on first, you got to bunt them to the second base, then you got to hit a ground ball to the second base to get them over, and then you hit a sack fly. Or you could then do another way, is you can do bunt, get them over, bunt, hit and run, get them over, get them in. You know, stuff, something like that. You know, situational hitting. Then you have them swing away. 
right? You could work on that. So you're working on base running again, and you're working on situational hitting because you never know when you're going to have somebody to bunt. You never know when you're going to hit and run. You got to know what to do. Um, and like I said earlier, once in season, you should prioritize what issues need to be addressed. So, for example, if you are a team that struggles with hitting with runners in scoring position, then you should work on getting them over better. You should work on two-out hitting. You should work and, and modify things to work on that type of stuff, right? Now, another thing about this, and this is what I'm going to close with, is you need to understand that you also need to practice towards your strengths, so if you're a team that's going to be a team that I like to coach, I love to coach the team, a scrappy team. I love a team that's scrappy. I love a team that's aggressive. I love a team that can throw strikes and a team that can play good defense. That's the team. I don't really care much for power. I'm not a power coach. I don't sit and wait for the home run. I like to push the issue, especially on the bases. I like to do some things. Um... But also, I like to rely on pitch my pitching and my defense to, to win games. I'd rather win a game 3-1 than 16 to nothing. Why? Because a lot of how many times are you going to beat a team 16 to nothing? Not rare. It's very not often. You're, you're going to win games 5-2, 6 3-0, 3-1, 2-1, 1-0. You know, you're going to be in a lot of, a lot closer game. And at the level you're coaching at, it's the team that makes the least amount of mistakes is going to win. So I like to do a lot of defensive work when I'm planning coaching, when I plan my plans. A lot of ground balls, a lot of I.O., a lot of situations, a lot of knowing what to do with the ball before you get it. Now, that's me. Now, you might have a team that you want to be an offensive juggernaut and you want to hit away your mistakes and you might do more offensive-minded stuff in practice. And that's fine, but you got to teach to your strengths, but at the same time, you should be practicing your weaknesses so that they don't bite you in the butt at the end. Um, but that's pretty much, you know, the crux of everything is practice towards your strengths, practice towards your weaknesses, but focus on your strengths so that you make those strengths more of a strength and you could bring up your weaknesses so they don't hurt you in the end. Um, so with that, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode on practices. Um, I hope that you guys learned a lot of information, uh, for my players out there. Uh, I hope you realize that practice is important. It's just as important as the game. Uh, for my coaches out there, I hope you understand why you need to why you need to have a practice plan and why a practice plan is important so that you can look organized, so you know what to do, so you can work on things that you need to work on and you and you don't look like a lost puppy, which in the end, you lose your players after that. And it's hard. once you lose your players, it's hard to get them back. So that is episode six. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Please make sure to leave a five-star review, uh, a five-star question that can be answered live. Make sure to post those. Follow us on Instagram, spread the word. Okay, tell your friends and family to subscribe too and give us a five-star review. Uh, our audience size is growing and I really love to see the list, the listeners number bar go up in my statistics. It's, it's nice to see. But with that, I'll catch you guys next week. Happy Memorial Day and I'll see you guys soon. Bye.